Jewels? My father makes fine jewelry. Lord Darkrell has entrusted us with obtaining and mounting two rare and obsexually... <laughs> what? Obsexual. Sexual stones. They, you put them where you, you don't mount the sun don't shine. Sexually. Oh, man. You know, we've been to space and we hung out with uh, Transformers and Batman and we and we've gone to the fantasy forest twice mm-hmm. uh or more uh, but but you know we've never found true love <laughs> yes true love <laughs> the truest <laughs> but purest. today today we're going to find it by god um <laughs> by book by <laughs> By Jeannie Black. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, by Job. I know, I was. That's exactly where I was going. And I, I had to, my mind had to race. All of my improv instincts were like, just don't do it. <laughs> so I looked at the book and uh, here we are. Hello and welcome to Chicken and Raffles' Choose Your Own Adventure Adventures. I'm Chicken and Raffles. Hello. Hi, Jessica. Hello. And today we're doing all those things we just said uh, in that very long intro. Uh, we're reading Heart Quest, book number one, Ring of the Ruby Dragon by Jeannie Black. Pick a path to romance and adventure. And on the cover, uh, you're, a, you're a lady girl and you have stones floating above your head. I think you say I have stone eyes. And... There's a boy who looks like he's asleep. And a dragon. There's a dragon. I like sleepy hot men. Uh, Debbie Beezer was the last previous owner of this book. Uh, cover art by Elmore. No first, middle, no, it's just Elmore. Wait, what? Cover Spell art. That. Cover art by Elmore. Spell that for me. E L M O R E. Elmore. It's like oh Elmo, my God. but R E. Let me look it up. Yeah, look up Elmore. I know we never do this on the show, but we're going to use the internet, guys. Interior art by Jim Holloway. T S R. Uh, Elmore Leonard? No, man. It's just Elmore. Elmore. Okay. In parentheses, artist. His name's Larry. Okay. Larry Elmore. Larry Elmore. Uh, he's an American fantasy artist whose work include creating illustrations for video games, comics, magazines, and fantasy books. Hello, everyone. It's me, Elmore. His list of work includes illustrations for Dungeons and Dragons, Dragonlance, and his own comic strip series, Snarf Quest. Snarf Quest? Uh Uh-huh. What the fuck? I don't even want to know. You laugh with delight as the centaur nears your wagon. You don't often get to see centaurs because they rarely come near humans. So you find the creature with a human head and torso on a sleek horse's body. Quite fascinating to see. Wait, what? (laughs) Is is there, like, 
a fantasy man riding a bull, but he's a bull. That's what? He's yeah. a centaur. Yeah, he's a centaur. He's a horseman. Is someone riding him? No. He oh. just is a he's just is a man on a horse body. Oh, I read that as someone is riding him and they're approaching. Uh unfortunately no. Just just a centaur. Oh, okay. Look, father. I'm I'm a little girl. <laughs> it's coming to see us. But your delight upon seeing the centaur turns to dismay as the centaur's human hands begin swinging a heavy oaken club at your horse. Father, you exclaim. Centaurs aren't supposed to be vicious. Why is it coming after us? Hold on tightly, Shandell, your father says. Let's get away from it. You clutch the side of the wagon as your father orges the horse, Doddle, to pick up the pace and outrun the malevolent centaur. A shadow falls across your face, and you look up to see two winged lions flying towards you. They look as if they're going to land on the centaur's back and ride him, just like you thought they would. Uh, just like I thought they would. <laughs> but again, something is wrong. The winged lions, known to be good and friendly creatures, are helping the centaur. Together, they drag on the traces and try to force your horse to a halt. Standing, you brace yourself against the swaying and rushing of the wagon and prepare to leap to the back of the nearest winged lion, hoping to direct it away from your father in the wagon. But as you hit the ground... <laughs> but, as you... <laughs> but as you jump, the creature moves to the side abruptly, and you hit the ground. Your breath explodes from your body as you land amid Doddle's flying hooves. One hoof strikes your head, uh -oh. and you are conscious of nothing else. Sounds like I almost died. Yeah, from a horse hoof to the head. When you open your eyes, you feel a pain shooting through your head, and remember the horse's hooves. You flinch as you expect another hoof to strike. Man, this book is really hoof-heavy. But then you realize you are alone. The centaur is gone. The lions have flown away. Your father is gone, too. Father? You whisper. Alarmed at the silence surrounding you. Then you rise and see your wagon nearby. Surprisingly, Doddle stands next to it. Hooray, Doddle! You hurry to the wagon, expecting to see your father lying in it, hurt. But the wagon is empty. Oh. Did I just dream this? I mean, it sounds like a fucking hallucination. Look, a horseman! Flying lions! My dad's gone! I got hit in the head real bad. Yeah, the hoof to the head is a very common 13th century ailment. <laughs> Moving out from the wagon in ever-widening circles, you look for signs of your father's fate, but find nothing. No blood, no weapons, no evidence of scuffling, nothing but animal tracks. He must have been carried away by the flying lions. Returning forlornly to the wagon, you sink down on the seat. Couldn't say that. <laughs> Sink on down, Dad. <laughs> Returning forlornly to the wagon, you sink down onto the seat, absently brushing the leaves from your fur-trimmed cloak. What have they done with Father? You think, your body trembling in fear? You feel more alone than you've ever thought possible. You have been working as your father's apprentice for five years. This is just like backstory. 
ever since your mother died when you were 10 years old. Even though you travel all across the land to make jewels and golden items for lords and ladies, you've never felt in danger. But now... Father! You shout, overcome by unaccustomed feeling of panic. You turn and shout in all directions, Father! 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 <laughs> Suddenly, you remember your father's collection of valuable gems. Did the beast take them? You wonder? Quickly, you raise the wagon seat and explore the box beneath it. But even as you sort through the things inside, you know in your heart that the matched set of emeralds, the set that your father worked so hard to acquire for Lord Darkwell, is gone. Darkwell. Darkwell. Your heart sinks. Reluctant to give up hope, you move aside some clothing. At the bottom of the box, a small leather pouch catches your eye. Maybe they didn't get everything. Lowering the wagon seat, you quickly sit and open the pouch in your lap. Out tumbles a set of strange stones. Certainly not the finely polished gems your jeweler father mounts for the aristocracy. These seemingly ordinary stones must have been overlooked by the plundering beasts. As you start to inspect them, they begin to move. One by one, the stones drift out of your hand and up into the air, where they form a ring around your head near the golden circlet that holds your long auburn hair in place. As you note the stone's vivid colors, pale blue, scarlet, banded pink and green, lavender, a beautiful dusty rose, and even a vibrant purple, a faint memory creeps into your mind, a memory of playing with these stones when you were a child. You would toss them from hand to hand and laughed with delight when they formed the ring. But when your father came into the room, he hurriedly plucked the stones out of the air and scooped them into the bag. And Dad told us we couldn't be a professional juggler. They aren't toys, he said. Then he sat next to you, placing an arm around your shoulder and explaining that they were Ioun stones. Powerful stones of magical protection. Each provided a different aid. More power to a strong arm, greater perception, greater dexterity, increased ability to survive without food or water. The lustrous pearl had the power to heal, and the lavender stones could remove magical spells surrounding a victim by absorbing them. Now you remember clearly. Your father had taken one of the stones from the bag, the deep purple one, and said in a voice hushed by awe, this stone was prepared by a great wizard for a special journey into strange and dangerous lands. It contains magical spells to protect him on the journey. Are the spells still in there? You had asked. Yes, but the wizard never used the stone. But Papa, does, what does the stone do? You asked. He replied thoughtfully. I know some of the spells he put into the stone, my little one. But not all. Perhaps it's better not to ask. Now let's put the pretty stones away. And he gave you a hug. Remembering, you picked the stones out of the air and returned them to their pouch, pondering what to do. Not long before the attack, your father had said that soon you would reach the next town on your journey to Lord Darkrell's to make the special emerald jewelry. Maybe you can get help there. Someone who will help you. Oh, Father, will I ever see you again? Tears well in your eyes and start to roll down your cheeks. 
Your horse stirs, and you look up to see coming toward you through the woods a knight clad in chainmail armor and leather and mounted on a magnificent cinnamon-colored horse. You quickly brush the tears from your face and try to straighten your clothing. As he rides towards your wagon, he notices you watching him and stirs straighter on his horse. Stopping in front of you, the knight smiles and bows from the waist. Good day, milady. You smile gratefully at the milady, more used to hearing young lass or even little girl. Hello, you say in return, <laughs> and immediately captivated by the bright personality and dark features of this handsome young knight. How do you do, he says, smiling. Then he notices the tears. Are you a maiden in distress? Well, I guess I am, you say, reminded of your present plight. What happened? I was traveling with my father when a centaur and two winged lions charged our wagon, trying to gain control of our horse, you say, pointing to Donald. <laughs> when I tried to stop them, I fell from the wagon and was knocked out for a while. Are you all right? Oh, yes, you sure am. But then when I woke up, father was gone and so were all the jewels. Jewels? My father makes fine jewelry. Lord Darkrell has entrusted us with obtaining and mounting two rare and obsexually... <laughs> <laughs> what? Obsexual. Sexual stones. <laughs> they, you put them where you, you don't mount where the them sun don't shine. Sexually. <laughs> Why? Lord Darkrell has entrusted us with obtaining and mounting two rare and obsexual... <laughs> Exceptionally. Exceptionally. I can say this. My, <laughs> my father. My wife. My father makes fine jewelry. Lord Darkrell has entrusted us with obtaining and mounting two rare and exceptionally beautiful emeralds. I serve as my father's assistant, you say proudly. Oh, what should I do, you cry. I suppose I must continue toward town and try to find help. I, I'm a knight, says the young man in armor, stating the obvious. I would be honored to come into your aid. Fair, uh, what is your name? Shandell. Shandell, how beautiful. Thank you, you say. And who are you? I am Corin, Sir Corin. I've just finished my training and been knighted. Bilkin here. He says to his horse, train with me. Congratulations, you exclaim. How exciting for you. Are you on a quest? I will be when I can find one. But in the meantime, I would be very happy to help you. Your heart leaps at the, ch at the thought of traveling with this attractive young man. But you hesitate. Would a novice knight be able to help or be a hindrance in my search for father? You ask yourself. <laughs> you look at him carefully and notice that the sword at his side shines brightly. Has it ever been used, you wonder? And then, afraid that the answer is no, you say, Thank you for offering your aid, Sir Corin, but I don't even know for sure where we are. I think I'd better go into town and find someone who knows this area. Corin's smile disappears. Well, I thought maybe... His voice trails off. 
Look, he exclaims, kneeling down. These are the tracks of the centaur. We can follow. (laughs) We can follow them right to your father. It will be raining soon, though, and the tracks will disappear. We must leave now. Then he adds, his shyness forgotten in his excitement, I'm very good at following tracks. (laughs) (laughs) You feel his enthusiasm begin to remove your uncertainty. Maybe he can help, you think. Maybe he knows more than he appears to know. And maybe it would be fun to spend time with him. You brush at your red gown and cloak, wishing they hadn't gotten so dang wrinkled. Stop it, Chandel, you tell yourself sternly. Be realistic. I can't go off of this man just because he's attractive. I need someone with experience and a big old dick. A centaur has a big dick. <laughs> You're probably not wrong. He is half horse, half man. Uh, is that what it says? Well, yeah. Yeah, it made, it made note of his dick. His centaur dick. You're about to make up your mind when you think, but I should go hunting for my father. While the tracks are still fresh, they might be washed away by the time I return from town with help. You must decide. Do you want to trust corn and follow the fresh tracks on the ground? If so, turn to page 110. Or will you go to town and find more experienced help? If this is your choice, turn to page 99. Uh, Bob, I'll take the first choice. All right, let's hang out with boy. Let's follow them tracks and avoid those sexual advances. Yeah, this guy doesn't have any experience, so you know he's not going to try to do anything funny. If we don't leave now and follow the tracks, we may never find my father. I don't think I could stand that. Tears begin to fill your eyes. Try not to worry, Shandell. I'll do everything I can to help you by... By my honor as a knight, he finishes in a flourish that makes him blush again. I imagine he did, like, a fucking backflip onto his horse. Mm-mm. Then he looks at his hand on your shoulder and drops it quickly, adding, Oh, we better be on our way. You'll have to leave the wagon and hope to return to it later. Looking up at the darkening sky, you grab the leather bag of magic stones and thrust them into your pocket. What fucking century is this that she has a pocket on her dress? Come on. Am I, am well, I right? there was kind of like pockets in the past. Okay. You would tie them uh, around your waist like a belt, and the, in between your skirts, there would be like a literal pocket. Are you telling me Shandell maybe has like a utility belt, like a la Batman? Well, you could say that. I did say it, and now we're moving on. All right, Sir Corin, let's go, you say firmly. You turn your face forward, determined not to look back at your father's wagon, which you must abandon. The young knight on the cinnamon horse leads as you follow the distinct tracks of the centaur through the woods. The sky darkens as you enter a dense forest. After an hour, you see tracks, other tracks, joining those of the centaur. Tracks you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. They come from all directions and make a muddy path it's an alien. through the woods. It's probably an alien. You're staring at the ground when you hear a faint sound. Sir Corn, listen, you say, stopping your horse. The knight turns in his saddle and says, Will you please call me Corn Shandell? I'm very proud of the sir, but Corn sounds much friendlier. Yes, I will, Corn. Shut up. Listen, please. You both stop your horses and listen. 
Through the woods comes a faint melody. So soft that it might be the breeze itself. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, Gorin. You say, your eyes widening with pleasure. It's a satyr's pipes. I haven't heard them since I was a child. If it is a satyr, maybe we're nearing the centaur. Satyrs and centaurs often live near each other. Corrin reaches behind him and takes up his shield. We'd better be ready for anything. But satyrs are friendly, you exclaim. You thought centaurs were friendly too. We'd better talk. We'd better walk, Shandell. Now he's just Mickey Mouse. I can't. <laughs> not, I can't stop it. Uh, why? You ask, confused by his suggestion. Well, frankly, I find better on the ground. He says as you struggle to stifle a giggle. If you hear the pipes again, you'd better cover your ears. A satyr's melody may be magical. You swing your leg over and prepare to slide off Doddle. And Cora chants, <laughs> What? Slide your leg off. <laughs> right. That's a weird, it was a weird sentence. Frozen in that position, you watch Corrin quickly jump from his horse and run back to you. Now slide off. I'll catch you. I don't want you to hurt yourself. Oh, Corrin, I've been jumping off horses for years, all by myself. Inside, you are overcome with a mixture of feelings. One, the desire to know what it's like to have a brave, gentle knight hold you. Two, anger at the idea he thinks you need help. Three, plus a little fear that you might not carry it off gracefully. But then you see his expectant face turn towards yours and know that you can't reject his offer. Oh, girl, get it. I don't want to. Yeah, well, you do in the book. Okay, Shandell? So okay. you're getting it. Sliding off a horse, you feel Corrin's strong hands catch you before your feet touch the ground. It's a new sensation. Five. A man holding you close. I could get used to this. You, th <laughs> <laughs> you think enjoying the feeling? Corrin gently puts you down. You keep your eyes lowered, embarrassed at being so close, and whisper, Thank you! Then you free yourself from his arms, hurriedly cock your head, and ask, Did you hear the satyr anymore? Corrin raises his head, a fleeting emotion, disappointment, perhaps? Crossing his face, suddenly something zips past your head and thuds against the tree behind you. What? Corrin exclaims. He looks down and sees a heavy stone rolling on the ground at the base of the tree. You quickly look in the direction from which the stone might have been launched, and catch sight of several short, human-like creatures with horned heads, hoofed hind legs. They're satyrs! They glare at you angrily, swinging slings in their hands, ready to hurl more large stones at you. Get behind a tree! Shouts Corrin. But I can help fight them, you argue, knowing that you have a dagger, and knowing, too, that you're capable of defending yourself. Please, Shandell, I'm a knight! Let me protect you! He demands in an offended tone. Will you let Corrin fight the satyrs alone and prove himself in his first battle as a knight? If so, turn to page 145. Or if you are reluctant to pretend you need protection, help fight the satyrs and turn to page 122. You go, girl! I want to fight! <laughs> yeah, you, you go, girl! <laughs> you got a nice hair float. Yeah, nobody could see it, but I did a whole thing.
torn between letting Corrin prove himself and helping him fight the unfriendly satyrs, you indecisively fingered the chain around your neck. Then another stone flies toward you. Sorry, it's not funny. And you know you can't leave the fight to Corrin alone. Your father raised you better than that girl. Tyndale, run! Corrin shouts as he pulls his helmet into place. I can't, Corrin, you say calmly. I have to fight, and I can, without getting hurt. Without explaining further, you start walking towards the satyrs. For a moment, the creatures are astonished at your daring, but their wonder soon changes to rage as you approach. In their fury, they forget their slings and start throwing rocks as fast as they can, but no thrown rock can hurt you. What you hadn't taken the time to explain to Corrin is, is that... That the amulet that protects you from missiles of any kind hangs from the chain around your neck, the one that you were fingering. An invisible shield surrounds and protects you from any thrown object, even a stone, girl. Wow. Chandel! Corin shrieks again. It's all right, Corin, you say. See? The rocks can't hurt me. But you've got to stop these beasts. The satyrs... Frightened at seeing the rocks bounce harmlessly away from you, run when Corrin's sword sweeps through the fray. Moving in the wake of your invisible shield, Corrin dodges the rocks, his sword flashing and wounding every every satyr, all of them. Soon the battle is over. As the last satyr dashes out of sight, Corrin turns to you and raises his sword triumphantly. We did it, Chandel! Then he drops his sword and gives you an enthusiastic hug. Ooh, it feels absolutely wonderful. It lasts longer than expected. Uh, yeah, a little bit. You wanted to cut it off a little sooner. <laughs> <laughs> you go, girl. But then Corn realizes what he's doing and quickly, quickly releases you, blushing with embarrassment. To ease his embarrassment, you quickly say, let me show you the magic pendant that helped save us. The one you were fingering? He asked. He doesn't, he doesn't ask that. He wasn't going to ask that. Come on. Uh, after looking at the golden brown gem set in silver, you and Corrin mount your horses and set out again, following the centaur tracks, which are now almost lost among the smaller satyr tracks. So, that's not good. Mm-mm. Soon you realize that all the tracks are heading in one direction. Mm. When you reach a, a point where they could converge into one muddy path, Corrin turns and whispers, Wait, Shandell, there's been so much activity along this path. I think our destination might be directly ahead. We mustn't make a sound. Then let's leave our horses, you suggest. Tying Doddle and Bilk into a tree, you and Corrin creep forward to a huge boulder. You see the muddy path disappear to the mouth of a cave. The centaur tracks go into this cave. Corn Just like whisper. scary monster mountain. <laughs> Just like scary monster mountain, which should be relevant by the time this podcast goes up. Then we'd better go in too, you say firmly. But that must be where my father was taken. But Chandel, anything could be waiting in there. You'd better stay out here with the horses. What? Fuck you, bitch, you say to Corin, who's a bitch. Then you think of the special help you can offer and reach into your pocket for the leather pouch of stones. Look, you say, pouring the stones into your hand. 
Korra's eyes widen as the stones rise to circle your head. What are they, Shandell? You explain what your father had told you about them, and then you scoop them back into the pouch. Oh, I've also got a crystal ball. You laugh at the amazement on his face and hold up your wrist. From the golden bracelet around it dangles a small, clear crystal sphere. See, it's just a little one, but it might warn us of danger ahead of in the, in the cave. My well-protected Shandell, I would be proud to have you accompany me into the cave. <laughs> and he makes a formal bow and gestures toward the cave. Let's Cor go, Mickey. <laughs> Corn. I just want to call him Corn. Corn. Leaning his sword held ready. You enter the dark mount. The dark night. <laughs> you feel protected as you walk behind the night, but each step that you take deeper into the unknown darkness makes you increasingly apprehensive. Then you round a corner and see a faint light ahead. Enough light so that you can see your crystal ball. Into it is what I meant. Relieved that it reveals no creatures waiting for you, you breathe more easily and become curious about where you are. As you walk, the light increases until you can see more of your surroundings. The dark rock of the passageway walls is smooth with being worn, and the light grows brighter. You realize the rock itself and the floor under your cream-colored leather boots, as well as a deep, luminous red, almost the color of blood. Rounding a corner, you stop abruptly, blinded by the bright light given off by the torches mounted on the wall. Once your eyes adjust to the light, you can see that you have entered a small but richly furnished room. Why is that? Why does that have an exclamation point? It's a f richly furnished room. Because I'm a woman and I like interior design. I love design. interior decorating. Yeah, you're right. A plush carpet cushions your feet, and a soft couch dotted with a scattering of patterned cushions stands invitingly against one wall. The torches are mounted in ornate jeweled holders, and the walls are veiled in heavy velvet curtains that seem to deny the fact that you were in a cave. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Do you suppose someone lives here? You ask. It certainly isn't a usual cave, Corrin replies. Maybe I can find someone, you suggest. Holding your bracelet at wrist in front of you, you peer down into the crystal sphere. You turn slowly, letting the crystal ball reveal all directions. You're about to say that no one is near when you detect movement in the ball. Corrin, you whisper. Someone's coming. Behind us. Corrin quickly plasters himself to the wall beside the door, sword raised and shield firmly in front of him. Get behind me, Chantel! You move just back against the wall when you hear a rustling sound coming from the doorway. You feel Corrin tense ready to wield a sword. The sound of movement stops, and a voice comes from the passageway. Now, if the young man holding the sword so fiercely would kindly lower it, I'll enter the room. The voice is low, gently accented, and lyrical. You feel Corin startle, but he doesn't lower his sword. You, on the other hand, want to know who or what is beyond the doorway. Unfortunately, your crystal ball is too small to provide a clear view. That's such a weird detail. It's fucking magic. Just make it bigger. Put it down, Corin. You demand in a whisper. But we don't know who it is, he insists. 
and we'll never find out if you don't lower your sword, you say fiercely. You go, girl. We seem to be getting nowhere. Oh, shit. No, that's not Mickey. (laughs) We seem to be getting nowhere, the voice says. Well, I'm coming in. I'll just have to trust that you won't use that sword on me. Into the room glides a woman with long, gleaming black hair tumbling over her shoulders. She is dressed in wine-red velvet decorated with brilliant jewels of many colors. So many colors. You feel Corrin's sword arm jump slightly in astonishment as she turns toward him, and you see that she is breathtakingly beautiful. Her skin has the glowing translucence of a prized pearl. Weird. And her eyes, which are slightly slanted, appear to contain the knowledge of the world in their dark depths. That was like a pretty cool like paragraph for a Choose Your Own Adventure book. Is there a picture? Uh, yeah. Yeah, there she is. She looks kind of like Cleopatra. I like her Cosby voice. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of... She's... I'm Lady Cosby, and I'm here to uh, give Corn a big boner, you see. <laughs> <laughs> and who have we here? She asks. You note that her dark eyes focus fully on Corin, and somehow you don't even feel included in her question. I'm called Sir Corin, m-m-m-lady. Corin stammers as the sword arm drops. You watch, surprised and dismayed, as you see Corin blush and look pleased. You doubt if he's even aware that you're still behind him. Well, he's going to be aware, you think to yourself. <laughs> you move out from behind him and say icily, And I'm Shandell. Who are you? (laughs) The raven-haired woman steps back slightly and slowly looks you up and down with an air of total indifference, making you feel small, insignificant, and ugly. She seems to reject you as beneath her notice and turns back to Corin. As a cat-like smile flickers on her face, she says, I'm called Wavella. What brings you here? She listens to Corin's explanation without comment. You're not certain, but you think the, the same glimmer of a smile came across her face when Corin explains you're about your father's kidnapping. Corin doesn't seem to notice, though, and he goes right on with his story. You feel your anger building as they talk. Why? Corin is actually enjoying this, you think, heatedly, like a guy can't enjoy a conversation once in his goddamn life. Uh, (laughs) After Corin relates all the factors leading up to your present predicament, the woman seems lost in thought for a long moment. Finally, she says, I'm sure there's an explanation for all of this. Please accept my assistance, Sir Corin. I'd be happy to take you farther into the cave, a.k.a. my vagina, if you want to see what we can find. I think we can find out what we need to know for ourselves. You interrupt coolly, because you're fucking cool as shit. Cool as a cucumber. Shandell don't, Shandell don't flinch. She don't care. That's right, girl. <laughs> you get it. But Shandell, if Mistress Wavella is willing to help, we certainly ought to accept her gracious offer. If Mistress Wavella wishes to help, then perhaps she wouldn't mind telling us why she's living here in this cave. 
You try to speak calmly and evenly, but you hear anger creeping into your voice and know that you're beginning to sound childish and silly. Actually, Shandell, that's a goddamn good point. Snip snap. Why are you living in this cave, bitch? An enigmatic smile flits across Wilvella's face. Ignoring your questions, she says calmly, Well, Sir Corin, what shall it be? Do you desire my help or not? Chantel, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to follow Wavella farther into the cave, hoping that she can help find your father? If so, turn to page 26. Or will you leave Corin and Wavella and trusting your magical gems, go on alone to find your father? Turn to page 36. Hmm. I feel like the lady is a trap. The vagina is a trap. The cave is a trap. I, you know what? I don't, lo I don't love to speak on, you know, a, a bit. It's like the unwritten rule of the podcast, ish. But uh, I'm actually thinking it's a reverse trap. I think you're getting uh, psychological psychobabbled. I think, I think it's a little reverse psychology on the part of the author. And and you could maybe you can get Corin back from Bill Cosby even, and find your dad. Yeah, I feel with the other choice, the book is gonna end. Yeah, you'll just die probably. Yeah, because a lot of these books, the theme is like you can't do it alone. So if the option is like strip the character of all like their assistance, it's not gonna work. To the cave! Further into the cave, okay. The cave! We're in the cave. <laughs> the tracks of the monsters who took your father certainly came into this cave. You've no doubt about that. Wavella clearly lives in the cave system, so she must know something about the, the other... The cave system. <laughs> Jeez. Inhabitants of the cave. She must know something about the other inhabitants of the cave. Suddenly, you feel silly to refuse her offer just because you feel a bit jealous of the attention she's paying to Corin. Let's go with Wivella, you say. Wivella, waiting patiently all this time, gives you a look that somehow makes you feel like she knew what you would decide. Follow me, she says to Corin, ignoring you. <laughs> somehow, you end up walking behind the pair, but your anger gradually cools as you walk. Each corridor you walk through has a special beauty that soon absorbs you. The colors, the fabrics, paintings, statues, all the more luxurious than anything you've ever seen. And each room you pass is different. You see dormitories, kitchens, game rooms, even rooms filled with cages of small children. Well, nurseries, you wonder? You ask Wavella questions about the cave and its inhabitants, but her answers are always evasive. By the time her step slows, you know no more than you did when you started out, except that you are in a cavern of incredible complexity and fascination. Wavella finally turns and says, Just ahead are the chambers of a ruby dragon. A dragon, you exclaim. You and Corrin look at each other wide-eyed. Like in the book cover in a book. She, her name is Radel, has a great deal of treasure. Still stunned by the news that you might be dealing with a dragon, you managed to ask, but what about my father? 
I'm sure he must be here somewhere in Radel's rooms. Perhaps working on the treasure. Though she has many, shall we say, trinkets, Radel always desires more. But you'll have to find your father yourself. If Radel knew I had led you into this section of the cave, she would take terrible revenge. Then she warns you. Don't expect to find your father to be easy. Radel likes to keep what she has obtained. But, Chandel, Chandel, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go look around? While you search, I'll keep Sir Corin company. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Burning at her she words. She must eat his corn <laughs> on the cob. Burning at her words, as well as the fact that Corrin did not contradict them in any way and say he was coming with you, you say swiftly, either, goodbye, both of you. Thank you for all your help. I'll go find my father alone. She was going to leave them anyway. Turn to page 72. Or, or, Sir Corrin, the successful conclusion of your first quest may be in sight. Let's go together and take my father away from his captor. The dragon. Turn to page 153. So are you going to make one last effort to plead to Sir Corrin, your only love interest in the whole book? Or will you just go... You're just going to go away? Well, I can't leave my father at the bottom of the cave. In Radle's rooms. Yeah, Radle's... <laughs> Radle cradle. Uh, yeah, let's go, Corin. Corin. All right, let's try to... Please, listen to us, Corin. You hugged us, remember? Remember that? Remember? Us. Well, he he hugged you. Yeah. Corin looks startled and seems to snap out of Wavella's enchantment at your reminder that he's on a quest. He smells the quest. He's, He's just horny for quest. He'll take anything. He looks at you once more and stammers, thank you for your help, Wavella. Shandell and I will look for her father together. He must be around here somewhere. You and Corrin walk rapidly away from Ravella into the chambers of the ruby dragon. You turn many corners in looking for clues for your father's presence, continuously searching your crystal ball for any warning of danger ahead. Seeing none for several minutes, you begin to relax and enjoy many visual surprises as the cavern contains. Gradually, they didn't actually describe any of them, I just want to point out. Gradually, however, a sound begins to penetrate the silence of the cave. You become aware that for some time you've been hearing a faint tapping sound in the distance. What's that sound? It's a toe tapper. Yeah. (laughs) Keep in time. I don't know. It's him! You interrupt. <laughs> Listen! And then you distinctly hear a metallic, ding, ding, ding. That's him, you explain. I'm sure that's the noise of my father working on gold. What? With his hammer. I've heard that sound all my life. His it haunts code. my dreams. Ding, 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 ding. Shandell, it's time to get dun, up. Dun, 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 Shandell, it's time to get up and go, go work in the jewelry store. Come on. Dun, ding, 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 ding. Come on. And you run down quickly down the passage toward the sound. <laughs> Slow down, Ch- <laughs> Slow down, Chandel, Corin says. The dragon might be with your father. Oh, shit. You stop abruptly, and you turn toward the young knight behind me. C- 
concern for you shows on his furrowed brow. That's no way to treat such a handsome face, you think. I should not try to cause him such worry. But you're pleased he cares. As Corn joins you, he smiles and says, I really would like an opportunity to get to know you better. But I don't think I'll have a chance to, to do that if you go dashing headlong into the dragon. Side by side, you walk on, looking at your crystal ball and listening for the alluring tapping sound. Finally, you're certain that uh, the source of the sound is just around the corner. Corrin tiptoes ahead of you and stands on the oppose, uh, opposite side of the door. As you join him, you see that the door is slightly ajar. Your crystal ball reveals a tall, thin man standing at a workbench on the other side of the door. It's him! You mouth co to Corrin! Your face glowing with relief at finding your father alive. You make a gesture indicating that you're going to push the door open. Corrin raises his sword, ready for anything, and nods for you to go ahead. Your heart pounding mightily, you push lightly at the door and look into the large chamber, a fire burning in the middle. No one is in sight, even though it was on your crystal ball. As you open the door farther, you again hear the familiar metallic tap-tap. Father! You shout excitedly, pushing the door open. And there, indeed, is your father, standing at a workbench, hammer in hand. But as you take in the frightened look on his face, you realize that someone is standing behind the door. Cautiously, you peer through the slit between the door and the door jam, and you see Wavella, a look of proud satisfaction on his face. Wavella, you found my father! You exclaim, but then bewilderment overwhelms your excitement, and you burst out, why wasn't your presence revealed on my crystal ball? My magic must be stronger than yours. She purrs, her eyes flashing with satisfaction. But your father stiffly shakes his head and then shouts out, That's not Wavella! It's a dragon! And out of the mouth of the beautiful, mysterious woman becomes a roar of rage. As the sound rolls over you, you watch... Your eyes wide with astonishment and fear as she transforms into a huge ruby-colored dragon. You stand frozen with fear until you feel Corrin grab your hand and pull you behind him. Then your fear changes to horror as you watch the man you beginning to care about advance on the dragon with his sword drawn. The edge, you edge over toward your father <laughs> and whisper, <laughs> What can we do? You may have brought the answer with you. Corn? No. Though he looks like one answer for you. No, I'm talking about the Ion Stone Stones I had with me. Do you have them? Yes, but I'm afraid to use them, you confess. All the time you've talked, your eyes have been following the movement of the brave knight. Radel seems to be teasing him. Rubbing his knees. Kissing his <laughs> neck. Just getting him ready for whatever. Edging him. His sword is raised. Take out the stones. You do as your father says. Ignore what's going on around you, Shandell. Think only about the purple stone and about your need to help from whatever power is in it. Closing your mind to all else but your father's purple stone. You concentrate and it, the stone hovers in front of your forehead. Your thoughts turn inward and find a calmness that centers on the power in the spellstone. Soon, the edge of your mind notices the purple stone is vibrating and has begun to glow. 
<laughs> a lot of edging and vibrating in this book. That's it. Your father says encouragingly, into the calmness, the word change. Wait, what? In- <laughs> into the calmness comes the word change. And it demands that you notice it and think about it and look at it. Say it. Say it, Chandel. Say change. Change. Say it louder. Change. You're correct. Then, out of nowhere, two phrases enter your thoughts. Stone of fire. Stone of light. Stone of fire. Stone of light. Change the dragon with your might. Change the dragon with your might. A gasp from your father breaks your concentration, and your thoughts turn outward again. The dragon is gone. Corn lunges forward with his mighty sword thrust at nothing. A look of astonishment crosses his face. She's gone. The dragon is gone. No, she's not, says your father laughing. Look, and he points to the spot where Radel had stood. There's a small rust-colored cat spitting and hissing at you. It's adorable little tail fluffed out in rage. Corrin bursts into laughter, which only makes the cat spit more. Then he says, Now I know what what fellow reminded me of. It wasn't a dragon, but a cat. Father, Corrin. Oh, I get it. Radel. Cat's cradle. He's a cat. In the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, boy, don't know when. But we'll get together then. That's our one bit for the episode. This book is so long. <laughs> Father, Corn, let's get out of here, Father, you Corn. Before we run into anything else. Using your crystal ball every step of the way this time, you manage to avoid other creatures and find your way safely out of the cave into a fresh, moonlit evening. Doddle and Bilkin stand tied to the tree where you left them. Corn takes you with him on his great cinnamon horse, leaving Doddle for your father to ride. As you and and as the knight's strong arm encircles you, holding you securely in front of him, you hear the story of your father's short but terrifying stay in Radel's cave. She had rooms full of treasure, and she wanted me to sort them out. It would have taken a lifetime. I'd much rather do... What I have always done, travel the countryside, making a few good pieces of jewelry for people who appreciate them. Beep boop. But maybe you won't feel like doing that anymore. Maybe you'll be afraid to travel with me now. Before you can deny it, corn breaks in. Well, sir, maybe I have an idea that will help. Why don't you hire a guard to travel with you? One who could... Protect you and Chandel? You turn to look at the knight, whose arm holds you so gently. He smiles at you a secret smile, one that holds your whole future in it. Then you turn to your father and say, That's a good idea, father. Let's hire a guard. Your father smiles and asks lightly, Do you know anyone who might want a job? After all, it could be quite taxing. Keeping track of a spirity young woman like that. And who knows what the future might bring in a job like that. He might have to put up with you for the rest of his life. 
And as you lean back on Sir Corn's arms, do you hear him say quietly, I hope so. I certainly hope so. And that's the end of Heart Quest, book number one, Ring of the Ruby Dragon, by Jeannie Black, illustrated by Elmore. The artist. And Jim Holloway, who did all the heavy lifting, even though there were like two illustrations maybe in the book. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a ripoff. It's a ride and an adventure. I think you did great voice work. Why, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I try to bring his stories to life. To you! Also, I... Uh, this one seemed really long, but uh, the writing wasn't terrible, most of it. I didn't just outright hate it. Let's give it... Uh, uh, fuck. Mm. We, rate, we rated the last one out of ten, I think. <laughs> was it, was it was like a four. This is like a six, maybe. Six, seven, maybe. It's fine. Mm. Five and a half? Yeah. Okay, five and a half. Too long. Yeah, that's what got a negative score. Not enough killing. You need a choice like every two pages. You can't drag on for like six pages. Come on. That's the secret to a good book. I think that if I was a kid and I was reading this book... There's no way I could get off to it. You're absolutely right. Well, not that. I think it, I'm not even like semi-hard. It would semi-hard. have appealed to me because I like the princess aspect of it. Right. Where you got the jewels, you got a cool crown, uh, you got a cool bracelet with a charm. Yeah. That, yeah. that was totally me as a kid. Okay. Well, maybe that's who it was for. And maybe not for me to read. <laughs> not my favorite book. Uh, but yeah, there's some other ones out there. Fun nonetheless. Yeah. And thank you for voting on it on, on Patreon to our one supporter who did that. And you can join them on uh, at patreon.com slash chicken and raffles does stuff. $5 a month. Gets you exclusive early access to all the stuff we do, now including the podcasts. So this will be up early, uh, hopefully within the next week or so. That would be cool. And uh, check out the Facebook. I don't have an Instagram or a Twitter. It's just not going to happen, guys. I'm not on TikTok. None of that's going to happen. Just if you want an update on the show, it's on Facebook. Go look at the YouTube. We're doing all kinds of stuff. We actually have, like, a schedule now, so come hang out with us. We have lots of stuff planned for October. So join us, will you, during that. And uh, we hope everyone has a great rest of September. And get ready to get spooked like you wouldn't believe over the next two podcasts. We're going to make them just haunted as shit. Bye. Bye.